And let's take a moment to pray. Father God, we are so grateful for you, for who you are, and God, that you will truly never fail, that you are for us, that you love us unconditionally, you love and created us just the way we are. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that you've drawn us here today to meet, be here with each other to meet with you, Lord. Holy Spirit, be present and active in this place and touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning to you. I, um, I hate to be a downer today, but we're going to talk about discouragement a little bit. I'm sorry about that. Now, the point of this is that as we look at this concept stronger, as we look through the book of 2 Timothy, we're going to be looking at the confidence that God wants to give us over our discouraging circumstances. But in order to do that, we, wanna, we have to dwell a little bit, spend a little time dwelling on discouragement. Hopefully that doesn't discourage you too much. Well, to get us in the mood a little bit, I wanted to throw up a few pictures on the screens, the kind of discouragement. Maybe you can relate to some of that, oh no, captions through that beautiful. Yeah, discouragement comes in many forms, doesn't it? Been there? <laughs> you kind of, oh, that's through that. <laughs> All right. So a little lighter side of discouragement. Uh, not so light, huh? <laughs> discouragement. We, I thought, you know, we've got to laugh a little bit because we're going we're gonna to go down and grab a hold of some discouragement a little bit here. And it comes in many ways at many times. In fact, tomorrow my family and I are heading out of town and driving up to Montana to, to visit my wife's mom and looking forward to that. Now I have five kids. It's a family of seven in a seven-passenger van. Yes, it's tight. Montana, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump, and another hop, skip, and a jump, and, and you know what's what I'm saying. So, you know, I'm getting ready with the van, getting new tires on the van, really checking things out, getting ready to go. And yesterday I noticed that our van has an oil leak. Yeah, it's, oh, and, and not just a little oil leak, but like we got a problem here. This is yesterday afternoon, and I've been trying to get ready to go. And, you know, as a dad and a husband, I kind of take the responsibility on myself to make sure that things are going great. And it's like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It's Saturday. You know, mechanics are closed. It, I looked underneath to see if it was, I hope it's something easy to see and something, and it wasn't. And, uh, you know, not just like dripping from the oil filter or something. So I'm all of a sudden going rental car, which isn't cheap for a seven-passenger vehicle to Montana for 12 days, expensive engine job, you know, delayed vacation, I'm getting discouraged. And, and I have a moment where God says, what are you talking on tomorrow? Stop it! <laughs> you get those opportunities, you know what I mean? But God brought that to my heart. I said, I get a chance to practice what I preach a little bit. Now, I don't have time to go anymore, but the Lord worked it out, and we're going to leave on time with our van. So thank you to Rich Prince, one of our angels here within the, the church that became a, a thank you for that. But that, that's not the point of the story, because it might not have worked out so smoothly. It was a chance for God to say, you're going to speak from your heart tomorrow. You know what I mean? And you're going to come, you speak on discouragement. I want to give a chance for some big time discouragement to set in. Well, our study with at, at the beginning of uh, 2 Timothy today is going to beginning to, we're going to start by looking at Paul. And we had a chance last week with Fritz to look to see a little bit of the background of the entire letter. But I want to take a look at the situation that Paul's in, which would frankly lead most of us to some big time discouragement. We're going to take a look at Paul's discouraging circumstances. We're going to take a quick look at Timothy's, the person that he, the other fellow pastor that Paul is writing to. He's the mentor to Timothy. And then we're actually going to pause just for a moment, I promise, just briefly to take a look at our own lives. Because here's the deal. We, we want to dive into our passage to see, um, to see uh, 
you know, what, is God, what does God have to say to us through those first seven verses to, to really find our confidence? But I feel like we need to go down a little bit and go a little bit deep to really understand what discouragement's all about for us so that we can really say, yeah, there's a need for something different here. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start by looking at Paul's discouraging circumstances. And Paul really had good reason, lots of reasons, circumstances to be discouraged. If you want to follow along on your outline, you can do that now and write in some notes. If you have your Bibles with you, by the way, 2 Timothy, we're just going to do chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and work through uh, verse by verse. This summer, we're going to be doing that kind of verse by verse study, and you can do that. Um, remind you that out in the lobby, we have Bibles available. If you're on the way and you don't have one, you can grab one and use that and even keep it if you don't have one. We're going to look at Paul, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of boil it down to this. You have three lines there. Paul, it's more than this, but his circumstances encourage, in, include this. Prison, abandoned, and trivialized. Okay? Prison, abandoned, and trivialized. So as Paul writes these three things, there's more of that, but as he writes the book of 2 Timothy, it's important to note that he's in prison again for sharing his faith in Jesus, and this time it stinks. Now, you might say, well, doesn't prison always stink? I mean, prison is prison, right? No, really not. Earlier, we understand that Paul had kind of a house arrest prison, and he wrote a number of his earlier books of the Bible, his letters to the, to the Philippians, et cetera, the church at Philippi. He was in house arrest. It really was kind of prison for the um, respectable citizens, and it was he was allowed to live in a house, and he had a guard nearby that he could lead to Jesus, and he had good food and warmth and protection, all that stuff, so it really wasn't prison in a sense. This time, it's different. It's the real deal. This is a dungeon a forgotten, dark, alone place, little contact with others, a bad food, if any at all. It's wet, it's cold, he's by himself. It is a stinky bad deal. And we see in 2 Timothy a couple of verses, I didn't put them in your outline. Towards the end of the letter, as he's writing to Timothy, he actually says in uh, chapter 4, verse 13, he says, when you come, Timothy, be sure to bring the coat I left, I left with Carpus at trust. Bring, bring that coat. It's wet here, it's cold, and I'm old. <laughs> Paul is very old at this point, and it's just into his bones, and he's like, this is awful. I'm forgotten. I'm lonely. It's dark here. It's, it's, it's horrendous. So could, could you do that? And Paul, Paul is even pretty sure that this imprisonment is going to lead to his execution at any point if they remember about him here. This is a bad deal. You getting a little discouraged? That's where Paul is, where he's writing from. Secondly, he's been abandoned by almost everyone. Now, people can sometimes pick you up when you're starting to feel discouraged. You can have someone nearby that kind of can maybe, you know, kind of make you feel better. Paul doesn't have that. In his earlier imprisonment, he had people around him. And like I say, he's leading people to Jesus and all kinds of activity. This is not the case at all here. He is almost completely alone in this case. And he's really starting to get discouraged. It would be easy to... He has seen person after person desert him. It's not that he's just whisked away, but the people have just left him and left him for one reason or another, usually because of his faith, and that makes him dangerous because persecution is increasing amongst Christians now. And so he's dangerous. So, so he's just seen their support and friendship just go away, and now he's in this dark place all by himself and, he's, and, and feeling abandoned, not just whisked away, but feeling abandoned. And uh, 2 Timothy 1.15, again, just hitting some verses to set this up for you. Um, it says, as you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. Everyone's deserted me from the province of Asia. Even Figilus and Hermogenes, he throws a couple names out that they're familiar with. They say, even these guys who are like, uh, pardon me, they're not even here. They've, they're not even not here. They've deserted me. They've turned their back and they're out of here. How you doing for Paul? Feeling kind of bad? You went, oh, for me and my oil leak. This sounds worse. 
right? This gets a bigger awe. Well, the third thing, I put the word trivialized in here to keep it, to keep it short. Paul is stuck here in prison. He's facing execution. And, and then he's hearing about these false teachers who threaten to, from his perspective, destroy his life's work. Okay, so at least it feels that way. See, all the things that he's taught and all the work that he's done to tell people about Jesus, to disciple people in the ways of Jesus, and now people, he's hearing about it because he's in this dark hole here. He's hearing that people are corrupting and changing his teaching. And it would be so easy for Paul to feel like everything he's worked for is going down the great drain. I can't even get out of this place to do anything about it. Holy cow, what's happening? Have I wasted my life? 2 Timothy 2, 16 to 18, he's writing to Timothy. He says, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. Here we go. They have left the path of truth. Oh, the path that I taught you, he's saying. Claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred in this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Look out from these people that are talking. Stay away from them because it's happening and I'm stuck here in prison and can't do anything about it well he doesn't say that that's that's what i inject into that's the thing that i could see him having paul can't get out and confront these people he can't he can't force them to stop teaching heresy he can't put the paul hammer down you know he is he's helpless in this prison place and it feels like his life work maybe he's being thrown away by these people who are kind of twisting and changing his teaching and people leading away from jesus this gets a really big paul oh man horrendous prison prison you're just wasting away you're gonna get executed everybody's deserted you just run away from you like you've got the plague and now your whole life's work is like (laughs) they're they're changing everything there's nothing you can do about it bad deal paul has some big discouraging circumstances to deal with this is the context from which he writes second timothy and he's writing to timothy who also has some discouraging circumstances no not prison and some of those things but here's this younger pastor in the faith that paul's writing to and timothy's discouraging circumstances and i wrote them in your outline there you don't have to fill any blanks but first of all roman persecution is escalating in the whole area as uh, nero have you heard of him <laughs> Friendly little Nero, some of you are smiling and nodding. He's the emperor of Nero during this time. And the persecution of Christians is increasing as the numbers of Christians increase. Okay, so that it's really spreading and so it be, they become more and more of a factor. And so that persecution becomes absolutely brutal in the few years to come. If you've heard about some of that, that just is, it's just horrendous to even talk about it, let alone imagine it. It's brutal and ugly. But, but the Christians are seeing it coming. It's starting to happen in various ways. And, and who are the first targets? It's the leaders. It's the pastors of the Christian church are the ones that are going to start coming after. So I can picture Timothy here looking around going, things are getting stirred up. And, and who, who are the ones that are getting the most attention? The people in the cities and the bigger cities and the leaders. And, and that's kind of me. Getting kind of scary. Secondly, for, for what's discouraging for Timothy, the moral climate. The moral climate is horrendous. Now, it, it always was, and yet there seems to be an increase in this. Timothy is doing his best to teach what Jesus and Paul taught, you know, things like integrity, moral purity, compassion, the things that Jesus demonstrated and Paul taught, honesty. And the culture around him is going in the opposite way really fast. Kind of sounds like today a little bit in a sense, but it's way beyond that, way further than ours. And so Timothy's church people, the people that are part of his flock, the, the, the new followers of Jesus, they're being pulled into moral chaos. They're just getting just, and they're struggling to see what is so wrong with all of that immorality because it's just all around, it's normal. So talk about kind of discouraging for a pastor to see your flock get sucked into a very dark, dark, immoral world. And that's just the way it is. 
one dis- more, more discouragement for Timothy if he needs more. This one's internal. He continues to battle huge internal fear. Okay, Timothy's, Timothy's externals are discouraging. They always have been. It's never been easy, and it's getting worse. But when he looks inside, he doesn't see strength to do battle. When he looks inside, he sees fear. He sees timidity. The verse we read earlier, we'll look at that. He sees, but he doesn't see much to stand on. When he looks out, he gets discouraged, and then when he looks inside, he's discouraged and paralyzed by his fear. It's not pretty for Timothy, and and thus Paul writing this letter from his worst circumstances going, hey, buddy, let's talk about circumstances. What does God have for us here? Paul had huge discouraging circumstances. Timothy also faced major discouragement from the outside and from the inside. But I want to pause for a moment and do some personal reflection here. And uh, how are you doing on the personal discouragement scale? And, and, and there's a little line there. You can write something down or not. I mean, you're like, I don't even want to write it down on this line. It makes it real or something. But it's a chance to reflect and say, how are you doing? Is there any discouragement over relationships? Maybe discord in your friendships with your kids and your marriage? Is there any discouragement over finances, employment, or, or just debt? Got oil leaks in your vehicle? <laughs> How about health? Any discouragement there? Or, or, or lack of progress in something that you've been working on, either internally or externally? There are so many things that can lead us down the road to discouragement, aren't they? And this is more than just momentary disappointment. This can be just that, oh, that feeling of, oh, that can be there. And again, I don't want this to be a downer today, but, but again, we need to acknowledge the level of what we face and discouragement that can really dominate us and overwhelm us. And then we can be ready to look for the solution, for the path out of all the discouragement. And that's where we want to go today. But we need to understand that's where Paul starts, that's where Timothy starts. Where do you start? As we listen to Paul now write to us and model for us how to overcome this discouragement. And so we have that context set. So what Paul shows us, what he chooses to do, and what he demonstrates to Timothy and to us to find how we can escape discouragement is he says it's all about focus. It's all about focus, because I don't know that you can change your circumstances, not much, maybe a little, but you can change your focus. You can change your focus to confidence, and this is where we begin now. What does Paul model for us to do first? First of all, he would say this, get your eyes off yourself and put them on the Lord. Get your eyes off yourself and put them on the Lord. Now, easier said than done, but we, we, we need a model. We need, he's not just saying it, Paul's done it here and says it's doable. In Jesus, it's doable here. And so you get your eyes off yourself and your circumstances, and you shift your focus and look up at the Lord. And it's amazing to me how Paul starts this letter in First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy. And I want to read it here. So now we're beginning in verse 1, and this is our passage. And he says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. Now I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. And let's stop there. Now, now sure, this sounds like a typical Bible letter in the beginning, doesn't it? I mean, you open up to one of those others, and it kind of well, just kind of sounds like Paul doing his thing, you know? And it's, it's his positive, strong statement, spiritual strength, and clear vision. And sure, it sounds like a normal Bible letter beginning if you were to look at some of the others. Only Paul's never been in this situation before. He's not in a normal situation. Now, if it was me, I think my letter would sound something like this. Here it would go. It would be like this. This letter is from John, 
stuck here in this dark, lost, and lonely dungeon, and, and all for the sake of Jesus, help me! <laughs> it's cold and wet, scary, rat-infested. I'm abandoned by almost everyone. My life work is going down the drain. What is going on? Capital exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to follow and serve the most high God, the powerful creator of all the universe. And I feel like a forgotten flea. I feel like a forgotten flea, and I'm lost, rotting in this dungeon, waiting for my execution. If they ever get around to it, oh, by the way, how are you, Timothy? <laughs> that, that's probably how my letter would begin. What about you? It would be a help letter. I hope I can find a place to throw my bottle out of this dungeon that'll find its way to you. I'm not even sure you're going to get this thing. But Paul shows us that in the midst of his circumstances, instead of that, he can choose to focus on the Lord, which gives him the godly perspective that we read about here. What does he say? In essence, he says, I, I'm chosen by God. Wait, wait, where, you're chosen by God? Where are you? What's going on? I am chosen by God, yes. I've been sent to carry, God, to, to carry God's promise to the world. Awesome. What a privilege. May God grant you the same grace and mercy and peace that I'm finding in him right now in my circumstances as I focus on him. And he says it all and writes it all with a smile. Not denying the circumstances he's in, but as his focus looks here, it looks grim and, and depressing and desperate. And he looks up and goes, wow, yeah. See, Paul's choice of where he focuses his vision transforms him. Not his circumstances, transforms him. And, and he encourages Timothy and really us to do the same. Us today to do the same. Shift our focus Instead of looking around at what's around us, the oppression and the things that are there, I'm not saying pretend they're not there, but if my focus is there, my fear and my discouragement is there. When my focus is up, it puts it in a better perspective. And that's what Paul demonstrates, even with the very beginning of his letter. Now, second, to exchange discouragement for confidence, Paul models for us the choice to be thankful for what you do have. Be thankful for what you do have. It's so easy to notice and then gripe about what we don't have in life, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't ha matter how much you have, the list of what you don't have is infinitely longer, right? I mean, really, I don't care how much money and stuff you have. Make a list of what you don't have. It's a little bit longer than what you do. A lot longer, right? It just is. And so we can focus on that and, be and it becomes a problem. See, Paul has almost nothing here in prison. So he goes, what do I have? My friend rat named Pete. Uh, an occasional thing they call a meal. <laughs> That's about it, <laughs> you know. I don't even have my cloak. He has so little. He has almost nothing. And what does he do in sale? Let's read on. And for the next verse in, in 2 Timothy, verse 3 says, Timothy, I thank God for you. I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Timothy, I, I have God, and I serve him with purity and a clear conscience, and I have you, and I am thankful for that. I'm thankful that I have a God, and I have my life that he's given me, and I'm thankful for you. Miles and miles and miles away. No list of what he doesn't have. He focuses on what he does have, and he chooses to express thanks for that. Now, it's interesting to me. I thought about it. At Thanksgiving, you know, I started doing it off and on, not every year, but I hear a lot of families, as they sit around the Thanksgiving table, they go around the table and share 
something you're thankful for. If you've done, do you do that at family gatherings ever? Kind of a Thanksgiving thing. Before we cut the turkey or whatever we're going to do, let's go around the table and share. And some people love doing that and others. The kids roll their eyes. Here we go again, you know. But we pause that one day of the year before our prayer time of thanks. They just say, I'm thankful for my dog. I'm thankful, you know, whatever. And you go around and do that. No, that can be a special thing. It can be a wonderful thing, kind of cool. But it seems like the rest of the 364 days of the year that we spend time noticing, complaining what we don't have right? Thanksgiving makes me smile and grateful. The rest of the year, it's a struggle to try and get more and see how much I don't have. And that that can happen so easily. We lack resources, and we see that. We lack time, good relationships, skills, and on and on it goes. And that leads to discouragement. So on Thanksgiving, I'm going to find some semblance of courage and and hope. Uh, But so many other days, I don't bother to go there with that thankfulness thing. Today's not Thanksgiving. Isn't every day Thanksgiving? It was for Paul, and he had so little to be thankful for. But thank you, God, for what I do have. Paul would say, and he would say, Timothy, you can do that too, and and each one of us can do that too. The little that I do have, it's more than I deserve in all truthfulness. And that leads to confidence and contentment. And that's what Paul does. That's what we can do to trade our discouragement for confidence. Whatever that little thing is that you can grab onto. And it's probably more than one little thing, but start there. Well, third, to exchange discouragement for confidence, Paul, Paul models for us the choice to put your eyes on others, to put your eyes on others. Now, this may be kind of strange, but this is where he goes in these verses, and it really makes sense. You see, putting your eyes on the Lord first is important. That's the most important. We talked about that. And uh, as he, God is our grace and life giver, but, but lest our eyes start straying back towards the discouraging circumstances again that are there so easily, well, then put your eyes on others, too, and do it in a positive way. I, mean, I say that because people can be the cause for discouragement for some of us, can't they, you know? But, but they can also be confidence builders for you. And, and, and here's what Paul modeled. Here's how he did it. A couple of things as we see in the, in the, in the verses to come. First of all, pray for others. Pray for others. And, you know, that's what you're going to hear in church. Always pray and read the Bible, right? We'll tell you to do that. But that's what Paul does. You see, he didn't get lost in only praying for himself. If Paul were to survey the land and go, who needs prayer the most? Me, he would say, me. He doesn't do that, though. He, he, he surveys the land. He doesn't get lost in himself. Even in his desperate circumstances, he, he prayed. Well, let's see where this goes. Second Timothy, the second half of the verse, after he says, I'm thankful for you, Timothy, he says, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Wow, not just a one-time, oh yeah, I remembered that, God bless Timothy. Constantly, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. It goes on, it's continuous prayer. And he spent so much time praying for Timothy, he didn't have time to wallow in his own circumstances. He's probably not even as aware of them as he focuses on Timothy. He's out there fighting a good fight, he's facing stuff, and he's, what am I like? Doesn't matter, I I can pray for him, because God's calling me to pray for my my son, my, my mentee, the one that I have led to the Lord and the one I'm discipling. That's what we can do too if you're game to give it a try. Rather than point out how much worse your situation is than somebody else's, and it may be, it may truly be, but you, you don't have to do that. You can, you can pray for them and, and it will change your attitude. It'll change your attitude. Well, so putting your eyes on others can start by praying for those others, but it can also mean to this, don't live in isolation. Don't live in isolation. 
Now, sometimes when we're discouraged, we, we kind of want to withdraw, don't we? We just want to pull away from people and kind of hole up and not let anyone else see us, not expose ourselves to anyone, you know. I, if my life's stinky. I don't want to be around and stink other people up, right, or something, and we kind of just push away. We somehow think this will help. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? It usually makes it worse, And uh, to be honest. And Paul, though, chooses the opposite. At least he expresses that. He admits his desire and need for Timothy, his desire for relationship, regardless of the circumstances. And again, now in verse 4, as we continue in the passage, he says thank you to Timothy, right? And then, and then he goes on to say, I, I long to see you again. For I remember your tears as we parted. You know, you were sad. And I will be filled with joy when we're together again. He's looking at this relationship, and he doesn't say, Timothy, I can't wait to see you because then I can hold you responsible for helping me and making things get better. <laughs> Bring me a bunch of stuff. Help this. You come and fix things. At least give it your best college try, right? He, he's not doing that. He simply endorses the relationship. And, and he expresses love and longing for close relationship. In the midst of what could be so discouraging, he's reaching out, says, I'm going to pray for you. And, oh, I just, I long to be there for you and be in relationship with you. And I think for us in discouragement, we often push that away. And we see Paul modeling something else. He models a relationship of outreach and looking for some mutual support and encouragement. Well, third, putting our eyes on others can also mean affirm and encourage others. Affirm and encourage others. We started by saying to pray for others there in the first place, right? And uh, then we started talking about the desire for relationship to not, not isolate. But we can pray and we can seek them out, uh, but we can do even more, and that's what Paul did. He actually encourages and envisions timid Timothy in his, uh, in his faith. And, you know, Paul doesn't say, Timothy, and encourage and build me up because <laughs> I need that from you because things are tough for me. <laughs> And they are tough for him, but he doesn't say that. He, he actually looks to build Timothy up. And the next verse, he goes on. Remember, he's, he's praying for him, and he thanks God for him. And then he goes on to say, he gives him a, a good, oh, he says, I remember your genuine faith, your genuine faith. Remember, he's sharing to timid Timothy here. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Ah, oh, I know that. Paul's saying, I reflect, I remember your genuine faith, and you share the strong faith of your family, that was faith that's come down that was so strong, and I can see, and I sense that, I know that's in you. It, it's not just in you, it continues strong in you, so be encouraged, and be envisioned. I believe in you. I believe in you. Timothy must be reading that guy. Here's a guy in prison who could be complaining and wailing and be so scourged, and he's, he believes in you. So to exchange discouragement for confidence, confidence, we see that we can get our eyes off ourselves and put them on the Lord. We can see that we can be grateful for what we do have. And also we can put our eyes on our others. Fourth, to exchange discouragement for confidence, and we're talking about that, Paul models for us the choice to see your gifts and use your gifts. See your gifts, your giftedness, and use your gifts. Now, I think when we're discouraged, that's maybe one of the last places we want to go, you know? When things aren't going well, it's just easy to forget what God has blessed us with. We're seeing the negatives, right? It's easy to forget that as a, followers of, a follower of Jesus, he's given us a transformed life, a new life, an amazing life, including gifts that he wants us to use for him and him, him, his glory and his kingdom. And Paul says, I know you have a strong faith, even if you don't feel strong and able right now. That's what he just said in the last verse. I know that it's there. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, 
This is why I remind you, that strong faith that I know is in there, this is why I remind you to fan into flames that spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. That strong faith, you, you want to be discouraged and hold up, but remember, I believe in you. And, and, and fan into flames that gift, you're gifted. You may be discouraged, but don't forget that as a follower of Jesus, you're loved, and you, you, not just Timothy, you, as a follower of Jesus, you've made that choice. You are gifted. Remember your gifts. Use your gifts. They don't go away when things start getting funky around you, right? When things start to go bad, get back into the game. Fan your gifts into flame. That little spark, it was a flame. It, it's diminished. It's there. Get it going. See, seeing God use you as you use his gifts, he's given you can be a huge confident lift for you. Wow, and things are so bad, but God's using me even in the midst of my circumstances. He's encouraging somebody. He, oh, oh, yeah. What Paul's saying is get back up. Let's get going. Fan into flame that gifts. See your gifts. Use your gifts. You're going to get out of that discouraging, that discouragement quick. Now, finally, to exchange discouragement for confidence, rely on the Holy Spirit in you as your discouragement buster. Rely on the Holy Spirit in you as your discouragement buster. Now, I, I want to make sure it's understood that when we talk about the Holy Spirit in you and stuff, that doesn't just happen. I just want to clarify that many of us have made a decision to follow Jesus with our lives and just said, Jesus, come and lead my life. Forgive me and lead me. I need that. And, and many of us have done that. And part of what he does is give us the Holy Spirit. If you've not actually done that, then you can hear about these things, but he's not actually in you. He's waiting to be invited. And at the end of this service, I'll give you a little opportunity to do that. But I just want to make sure it's clear here that this is something that's available. But if you've made that decision, this is true, and I want you to listen closely. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and he brings you everything you need to move beyond discouragement, if you'll just trust him and you'll let him. You see, when we get discouraged, we tend to, to, to get afraid, to be afraid. We slow down. We even stop moving. Oh, the shoulder slump. It was that first picture of the slide of the discourage of the guy who's just clunk, you know, his head's on the desk, and he is like comatose at that point. Life just, oh my goodness, it is bad, deal, right? We stop moving, but it's important to know this. The fear doesn't come from him. And Pastor Ron shared this earlier as he read the verse. The fear doesn't come from him. The fear that's there. And uh, 2 Timothy 1 says it clearly. For God has given, has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. All of us can experience fear in small doses, you know? A little fear comes, even when something dangerous kind of, kind of threatens us, for example, and that's fine, you know what I mean? Something, something scary's coming at you, there's some fear, and that's, the, and that's there, and that's fine. Even a good thing, but ongoing fear, paralyzing fear, a spirit of fear that stays with you, that, that's not from God. And we understand that might come from within in terms of emotionally. There's a part of that, but there's a spiritual part of that that is from the enemy, from Satan himself. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring fear, and it's not his desire for you wherever it came from. It's not his desire for you. Instead, this verse says that the Spirit gives us power. Discouragement can bring fear and apathy and all these things. And God says, wait, wait, that's not from me. I, I came and gave you the Spirit who is giving you power. And power overcomes discouragement. Now, I love this. I love the Greek word. I got to go there this morning. And the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And this word for power here is, uh, is dynamis. Dynamis. And it's spelled D-Y-N-A-M and then, and then I-S. And it looks exactly and actually is the same root of the word dyna. My dynamite, dynamis, dynamite. It's the same word, the same root of the same word. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. He's given us a spirit of dynamite. 
What are we doing sitting around? Now, you might still be stuck in prison, but he's given you a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear. As a follower of Jesus, you have it, so you claim it and you use it. You light it up. <laughs> light up the dynamite. Fan it into flame. You don't have to pray for it. Lord, please give me power. How have you done it? It's there. Grab a hold of it and use it. Secondly, the verse says the Spirit gives us love. He's given us a spirit of power and of love, and that's there. This See, the, the power is expressed in love. It, these aren't like three separate gifts in a sense. This is what the Spirit brings to us. Power, dynamite, spiritual dynamite expressed in love so that the power won't do damage because dynamite can, can do damage, can it? Power is strong, and love is often soft in its expression, and so we need both. That's what God has given us. And the third thing, and, and in fact, 1 John 4, 18 says, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect, I, I, I can't count the amount of times I've prayed with some of my kids who've had some evening fear time to just be able to pray that verse and say, God is here, isn't he? Yeah, God is love, isn't he? Perfect love casts out fear. It has no place in the name of Jesus. Third, this verse says that the Spirit gives us self-control. Self-control, self-discipline, a very, very similar word or term or concept. And this is here so that we can use his power at the proper times in the proper ways. Okay, God says power which is strong, love which is going to temper it and, and, and bring the compassion and the soft expression peace. And self-discipline says when to use it, how to use it. It needs to be in a proper way, in a godly way. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings us, not a spirit of fear. So if you're walking in discouragement and fear, you're responding to another spirit. It's not God's. It's not. Even as a follower of Jesus, that, that's what's happening. And, and, and I want you to feel guilty, but I do want to give you some, some, some tools and some encouragement to step out of that because God has already given you this. Claim the power and the love and the self-control that he brought that he's brought into you and allow him to take away the discouragement and fear. And we're seeing Paul demonstrate that through this whole passage. Okay, bottom line. As a follower of Jesus, God has already given me everything I need to live a confident, loving, disciplined, powerful life, regardless of my circumstances. Regardless of my circumstances, it's time to walk in the life I've received. How about for you? It's time to walk in the life I've received. I can't always change my circumstances, but I can change my response and my attitude. And that choice makes all the difference in the world. Just look at Paul. And I'm looking forward to the weeks to come when you understand everything that he writes is written from that same hole with those same circumstances. And yet there is mighty things happen that God is doing in and through him. And he wants to thank same things for us. Will you receive that and act on that this morning? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, and thanks for the love you've given us. I thank you for the power that you've given us. Thank you that, for the gift of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray right now that, that uh, I know some of us are, are, have little twinges of discouragement, and others of us are just deep in it. In fact, they feel like they're sitting right where you are. God, I just pray right now that, that each one of us would look to lift our eyes to you for help. Sure, out of desperation, whatever it takes, Lord, but for us to grab a hold of you to act on these things that, that uh, Paul has modeled and taught us this morning. God, I just pray that you, um, that you will move. And Lord, I also pray that if there's somebody here, even as I shared a little bit earlier, if there's anybody here that has not made a decision to follow Jesus, that what they've just heard about, this spirit of power and love and self-control, self-discipline, and, and all of these opportunities come in Jesus. And if that's you this morning, you can act on that. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus just by believing in him. 
believing he is who he says he is, the son of God who came and lived a perfect life and died for you to take away your sins. And so you would ask for him to forgive you right now to forgive everything and ask for him to lead your life. Jesus, I, I messed this up. I want you to lead my life. He promises to do that and he brings a new life, eternal life, and the Holy Spirit to come into you to give you all of this and more. Thank you, God, for what you've given us. May we embrace it. In Jesus' name, amen.